0: I don't like not knowing things. That's not to say I'm nosy or intrusive. I just don't like feeling at the womb of mystery and chance. Makes me feel unsafe and weak, so I do my best to stay as knowledgeable as I can on any given subject. Because of this, naturally, anything I find that can't be answered through valid information is frustrating, unfair, and all around something I'm completely willing to cut out of my life. You can call me a killjoy or pessimistic, but I like to know why things happen, and any day that faces me where I cannot know is a day that I would rather forgo altogether. But life has a funny way of making you eat any words you ever feel confident in, and this brings us to the man on the docks. For context, I'm a teenage girl that lives in a seaside town most notably known for its fishing population, meaning a man on the docks is not at all an unusual occurrence. But this one is. I should probably get the most notable attribute of this mystery man out of the way first. As far as I have heard, from talk of the town, he has never been seen without wearing one of those old-timey diving suits. You know the ones, made of brass and rubber that clunk around any surface they walk on, completely obscuring the face behind it. Showing no skin, almost inhuman, hitting that strange part of the brain known as the Uncanny Valley. And again, that may not necessarily be enough to base a paranoid frenzy on, as my parents call it, but something about him that irks me, I can't shake it. So I've started this little case study, as I'm calling it, to accumulate all of my thoughts and rambles to try and make sense of this man, if he's even that. I should first of all compile everything that stands as a basis, or rather evidence, for me to pursue this as a mystery, which I loathe to call it. As previously mentioned, the man on the docks is only ever seen in a deep-sea diving suit. Along with that, he is only ever seen arriving at the docks in a submarine, which, of course, in any circumstance, will draw stares from the general public. I don't know much about submarines, but the term U-boat is engraved on the side of its gunmetal gray hole. And because of the fact that he arrives in a submarine, he always seems to dock as far away from the mainland as he can, on the furthest pier, prolonging everyone there to endure the heavy clunking of weighted metal boots, slamming against the old barnacle-covered docks. Speaking of barnacle-covered, that brings me to my next point. This diver seems to have a complete disregard of how he presents himself. While that was probably obvious by the fact that he doesn't remove his suit, it's certainly off-putting when said suit is rusted and worn down, covered in big white barnacles that I swear I've seen chitter to themselves. And even then sometimes, I've seen him walk through the fish market still dripping with strands of seaweed draped from his shoulders and helmet, which is only made more haunting by the fact that his stature easily hits seven feet with a shoulder width akin to a brick wall. That, added with his inability to show emotion through that thick glass porthole, ensures the crowds disperse as he lumbers through. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm not equally afraid of him. And I feel inclined to say that I don't scare easily. And even then, his stature isn't what upsets me. It's the fact that he is a walking enigma. That's what terrifies me. Today marks the first week on pursuing this knowledge I seek so direly. I've started tailing her through the day-to-day activities she goes through. I've also decided that I will be using pronouns interchangeably, as I don't know as of yet what kind of person wears that godforsaken suit, so it is unfair of me to make assumptions like that. I'm certainly no stranger to the comfort of covering up one's body. It's odd, actually. While her routine is mind-numbingly simple, it's sort of endearing in a way. She only ever shows herself on weekends, which certainly works out for me as I can't really stalk this stranger while in English literature, but that's besides the point. When she does, the arrival of her submarine is always in the earliest hour of the morning, when the sea still has a nice caking of fog draped over its waves, sometimes almost rolling in with her arrival. Because of this, I've regrettably missed both of her arrivals this week. Eventually, I drag myself to the docks with enough time to see her about near the end of her visits. But I should really be training myself to record every second I can, but ifs and buts can wait for later. It seems that both days she has stuck to seemingly the same routine. Arrive at the docks, wander through the fish market, pick out a bounty of fresh seafood, stuff it in a burlap sack, and then wander back to a submarine obviously only to witness this routine for multiple weeks before I can make the consensus that this is what she does every time, but as it stands this is more than enough to base suspicion off of. First of all, she's never seen paying, only handing what looks to be an ID before quickly taking it back. My working theory is that she either does something for the local fish population that allows her to have free consumption of any marine life she chooses or the low-hanging fruit is just that she's so physically intimidating a single silent point at a barrel of sardines with one of her thick metal gloves is enough to intimidate even the most hardy of seamen. And for for formality's sake, I will refrain from laughing about the term seamen in this professional document. However, the humor is not lost on me. It's clear that far more research is to be done for me to come to any natural conclusion. But I shall bring attention to the fact that my suspicion has been completely validated As the mere fact that any sane human would contain all of their selections of seafood in a single waterlogged burlap sack is an asinine conclusion to come to. Anyone who believes that it's in the right of social normativity, in my opinion, deserves nothing more than a slap across the face. This is coming from someone who has a weak stomach for seafood in the first place. The mere thought of shrimp makes me want to gag, but we're getting off topic. One of my school half-term breaks is coming up soon, and as a way to get closer to the truth and kill two birds with one stone, if you pardon the analogy, is to get a job at the fish market. This way I can both keep an eye on our mystery diver without drawing attention to myself, and I can see firsthand what exactly she's handing to people when compiling her array of fish. But for now, I'll have to be content with following her at a distance. It's actually quite easy, seeing as how her only visibility is through a glass porthole as thick as my hand, and she never looks over her shoulder, not even once. She walks with such purpose and intensity, it's no wonder people get out of the way, and yet I can't shake the thought of endearment towards her. Don't get me wrong, this project of mine comes first, and I will find out what she's hiding, and yet she has this sort of bumbling charm to her. I don't know what it is, but every time I watch her, she has a sort of odd limp. Not in the way that makes me think she has an injury, but just that sort of wider stance that people take up when wearing something heavy. I've even on occasion seen her bump into boxes and lampposts, and strangely, I could have sworn I've caught myself giggle a few times. However I do not use the giggle lightly, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that my laugh is adorable or feminine in any way. I have a bit of a pig snort for a laugh, and that's fine. I've never prided myself on being feminine. Not that that was ever an option for me. If I don't mention it now, it'll probably come up later in how I describe things or the way I see the world, but I'm trans. I've been out two years now, and rightly so, I've never been happier. I mean, I'm no further along than I was a couple years ago, but hey, that's just the natural process. Like I said, coming out, it's not like I've immediately become a different, girlier person. I'm still a tomboy, if you will. Granted. I'm a tomboy by girl standards, and Christ, I was never considered manly or masculine before then. I've always just kind of been in a comfortable middle ground, but hey, I'm fine with that in the hand I've been dealt. Not like I can change it even if days I wish I could, but I've lived this life too long to know that sometimes you really just don't get what you want. Oh, fuck, am I still talking? Oh, um, I didn't even realize. Sorry about that. I completely tarnished my rule of keeping this professional. Um, uh, uh, that's all up for this entry, and sorry again, I'll try to keep talk about myself. I think I'm going crazy. Obviously that's a joke, but I had a dream about fish last night. I was at the window of my bedroom, which looks out at the sea. I just stared at the sea, and even though I've seen it day in and day out, it somehow felt different. Like, a song I can't remember from my childhood, or... That twinge of sadness you get knowing that realistically nothing lasts. I promise that even though I wax and wane like I'm Edgar Allan Poe's daughter, my dreams aren't normally that philosophical or deep. Oh well, on to today's findings. I managed to get another good look at the divers submarine today. I'm starting to get familiar with their schedule. They seem completely harmless, but I don't really want to be caught snooping around. But I digress, and I have to say, this submarine is certainly the diver's vehicle. It's as bizarre as they are—old rusted metal indents, scrapes that seem to be more than just rock surface collisions, and I'm pretty sure I've even catalogued up to seven age bullet indents. But the history of this submarine perplexes me even further, as it seems like while the sub itself is incredibly old, the diver appears to not be the first owner. As on one side, I found a spray-painted title akin to those joking names that people give their boats, but instead it simply read, The Endeavor. And while I'm not one for superstition, it can't be a good omen that the only letters that have survived the wear and tear of time read out, The End. I guess I inspected for too long, cause before long I heard the dull thud of boots hitting wood. Heavy. Metal. Boots. I don't know if you've ever been on the dock, but there is a distinct lack of places to hide apart from the obvious. (sighs) I'm not proud of what I did, but when it's between jumping into the ocean or facing that silent diver, let's just say the ocean was looking real inviting. I've always wanted to be a journalist. It lets me make a living out of learning and solving mysteries, but... I didn't think I'd start my career underneath a pier desperately paddling in deep water to avoid someone. However, I cannot say it didn't allow me to learn something. Even if I'm starting to believe I'm out of my depth figuratively and literally as I was treading water, I heard the diver enter their sub and nothing more as before long it started to sputter and sink. And so did I. To be transparent, I'm actually recording this entry a few days late because... It's taken me that long to process what happened that day. As I was dragged under I started to panic as any normal creature would. I wasn't that far from the shore and yet I felt completely helpless. The pitch black water made it impossible to even see my own nose and whatever was keeping me under the surface. I broke. I don't know how I'm okay because I know I screamed I felt the cold water fill my lungs, and I felt my chest tighten so much I thought my ribs were going to shatter. My cries were drowned out by the sheer pressure of the water around me, and yet in a second all that panic was calmed as I felt a shape move under me. It moved too unnaturally to be the sub. I felt a prey-like fear to freeze, and at this point I didn't even know if I was sinking anymore. As the shape that slowly swam under me seemed inconceivable, even trying to think of its shape and mass made my mind spin. I may have been crying, I have no way of knowing, but just thinking of that thing under me made my heart constrict and my mind shatter. The pain was beyond physical at this point, as I don't think I had the emotional capacity to even comprehend what I should be feeling. I know what a whale looks like. This was a hysteria-inducing bigger creature that moved throughout the water. I could not see it, but I could swear I felt its presence all around me. I know all of this had to happen because I know that even if I was completely mad, a twisted mind would never be able to imagine the sound I heard next. A dull sound that hounded my ears. If there was any light, it would have been red from the pain due to my erupting eardrums. I want to say scientifically it was tectonic plates hitting each other, but it sounded alive. And for some reason, I couldn't shake the feeling it knew I was there. Then I woke up, in my own bed of course. Drenched to my center with seaweed wrapped around my left leg, and a small hunk of what looked like white stone clenched in my hand like my life depended on it. I don't think I'm going to do a report next week. I apologize for the break I've taken, but I still don't think I've gotten over what happened at the pier doesn't help that every night I didn't actively seek the truth. I've been plagued by horrid dreams of rotting fish, whale skeletons, and that sound ringing around me. I have to keep going or I'll go mad, I have no doubt about it, and every night I wake up with that same hunk of white rock in my hand, sometimes even piercing the skin. I'm not okay. But I know it's going to get worse if I stop now, so I will keep investigating. Okay, where was I? Right. Right. I managed to get a job selling fish at the market by the docks at the same market that the diver frequents. This means all I have to do is bide my time till he decides to shop at the one I'm stationed at. I will update my findings tomorrow. The plan was a success. Well, sort of. During the weekend while I was working, I was warned by my boss that if the diver shows up just to give them what they ask for, Seems my previous theory was false, and this town has a far more one-sided relationship with the diver, one of fear and avoidance. As the morning rush started, it wasn't long before the sounds of the docks were bisected by a heavy thudding I've become all too familiar with. Being in one of the stalls has actually given me an exciting new angle of their routine, as it seems that all the other fishmongers are just as off-put by them. Yet, it seems like I'm the only one serious enough to pursue my curiosity. But I digress. The diver doesn't seem to browse, per se. Rather seems to have a preset list that it shops from. There's the fish it usually gets, bass, eel, cod, and from what I can tell based off the surprise and nervousness of other stall owners, it's prone to sometimes differing from that list. Then came my turn. There was an aspect of me that was unnerved by this intimidating figure walking up to me, but when it took out a small ID book, I could hardly contain my glee, this was it, my first big answer. I accidentally snatched the ID, but the diver didn't seem to care as it just started to fill its bag with crustaceans. As I took in as much information as I could, yet the only thing I understand now is why the fishmongers don't mess with the diver. My hands was a World War 2 era passport. Name: Sunny Adams. Place and date of birth: England 1914. Sex: male, height 5'11", color of eyes blue, color of hair blonde. A picture was attached as well, depicting a handsome-looking man who looked to be in his 30s. I have a sinking feeling that this man has been dead for a very long time, which only intensifies the question of who is standing before me. As I handed the booklet back in a daze, the divers seemed to actually acknowledge me. I looked back letting me be reflected in its glass porthole as its head tilted slightly before it wandered off abruptly. I'm not giving up. I'm close to something. I know it. I'm the first person that the diver actually acknowledged so that must count for something, right? In my moment of celebration however, I failed to notice the glances I was getting from other onlookers. By the time I had noticed their side eyes, I was struck against the face by a putrid odor. The entire stock of fish at my stall were all rotting, festering with black skin and bones that seemed to be clawing out of their very flesh. I could only stare as in a blink of an eye all this fresh seafood pooled into a churning pile of carrion. I was fired on the spot naturally as I couldn't even begin to explain myself and the walk home felt doubly long. I am a scientific girl. I believe there's an answer to everything. But... I can also recognize when there is a lack of answers. I believe from the events of today and two weeks ago that I will finally have to admit that there's a small percentage that what I'm dealing with is supernatural. Uh, It hurts to say, but maybe that's because I've been vomiting all day thanks to the rotten fish. Who knew seeking out the truth could feel so garbage? I haven't eaten a proper meal and my family has commented on how much paler I look. I try to ignore mirrors for obvious reasons, but even I have stopped once or twice to inspect my eye bags. I'm subjected to endless migraines and the only thing that ails them is updating the study and actively being at the docks. Some days the diver isn't even there. The ocean air and wide expanse soothes my pounding headaches. I feel calmer there. It's obvious that I've not exactly kept to my no personal talk rule, but this work has almost become therapeutic for me. And while I find myself seemingly no closer to the answers, I never feel a want to give up, like other things in my life. It's ironic coming from the pessimistic 17-year-old that talks like a caffeine-addicted private eye, but I'm not exactly happy in most senses of the term. Some days are worse than others naturally, but My life seems to have been a constant state of brute-forcing myself to get to where my peers are at. I have to spend 20 years or more just to achieve a level of comfort that most people are born with, and then to further muddy that wound I will, completely on my own I might add, have to accept that I will never truly be content. But that's besides the point. It is some things I've come to terms with. But there is a point to this pitiful rambling. For what it's worth, the docks have become quite a haven for me, and doing this little study has lit a fire in me that I never knew I possessed. Uh, For as obnoxious as my vocabulary can be, words always escape me when it comes time to actually talking about myself. Let's see. In my mind, a song has been playing from the day I was born. However... For so long the song has been distorted and mismatched. It got a little clearer when I came out and every interest I find slots an instrument into the correct place, but it still feels wrong, unnatural almost, and yet the moment the diver looked at me, finally noticed me, the song has never been clearer. I must sound like a broken record by now. But I truly can't stop, and I've come to the realization that being coy isn't getting me anywhere. Next time the diver comes ashore, I am going to confront them. Waves crashing, salt eroding, Seaweed, even, I no longer care for patience. The song in my head is hitting its crescendo soon. And while I do not know what it means for me, I no longer care. I stand here as myself. My hands are my own. My mind is my own. My body is my own. But I am not, I belong to whatever is calling me. As formal as I promise to be, I cannot last another week of these dreams. The darkness that fills them is driving me insane and yet it addicts me so. I fall asleep now leaning against my window frame, staring at the ocean. The moonlight illuminates it just enough to see each wave crash in on itself. But under that, no one can know. It's an unknown that lives and moves at our feet. Its stretching depths hide things that no human has ever known. Apart from me, I know. Makes me strangely more excited as I know only the bare minimum in this little ocean of liquid black. It's more abundant and living than space will ever be. It's unworldly and I seem to be the only one that can see that. I need to know more. And this diver will help me. I'm willing to make that happen by force. Every time I wake from a nightmare, the white rock is always clenched in my hands. Except, it's not a white rock. I can't hide behind ignorant bliss anymore. It's bone. Whale bone. I got through half the week before I stopped trying to hide it at night and it seems to have rewarded me by not subjecting me to pain as each morning the shard of whalebone digs deeper and deeper into my hand from its immovability now I assume it's fused with my own bone while still leaving half exposed out the palm of my hand I look down at it as I record what Maybe my last entry. My eyes slowly move across to my other hand, which holds a hammer. I stand on the pier where I know the diver will be. The waves have gone quiet, still even. The ocean is at rest like a jet mirror which begs me to gaze into it. And yet, I can't. My eyes are unmoving as they meet the gaze of the diver waiting for me. No emotion portrayed through its body as usual. Until a step is taken, I don't know by whose part, as all I feel is being closer. The smell of rotted fish and seaweed fills my mind and my tongue feels like it's overtaken with salt crystals, piercing my gums and displacing my teeth. My ears ring with seabird cries, like voices screaming at me to do something, anything. The figure looms over me now. I can only feel it as, when I open my eyes, I'm back in that inky darkness under the docks. But this time, I can see something illuminated by a light that makes me feel safe. I see lying killed over on a rock surface, the skeleton of a whale still being picked at by starfish and crabs. I can only feel, feel the fear of the ocean. Feel the sensations of my bloated corpse picked at by bottom feeders over a period of years. Feel glass cut my hand and a shatter ring through my ears. I stand on the docks now, dry and silent. My hammer shuddering the glass of the diver's porthole while the ocean still lies silent. Tears run down my cheek, as the months of pain must be worth something. I only ask for answers. Surely I am at least deserving of that. No. No, I am not. For standing in front of me, still, with tilted head and breathing chest, was an empty diver's suit I don't have any more energy for questions as my knees buckle and land on the barnacle-covered wood with a slam as I watch the diver walk away. I don't think the diver is coming back. And I don't think my life is going to be okay from this moment on. But questions and theories are for another time. The sea is still. The moon is high. And my song has never been clearer. Tranthologies is a trans anthology podcast distributed by the listless network and produced by Alex Abrahams. Whale Bones was written by Kayla Bell and directed by L.M. Clohessy. It was edited by Soren Briarwood. In today's episode, you heard the voice of Sage Deutcher Bishop as Charlie Darnum. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune in tomorrow for The Captain of Monte Cristo by Sylvia Keys. But until then, try not to get eaten by any fish